today we are just going to, we've moved from the Beatitudes and going to read on in chapter uh, 5 of Matthew. Jesus at this point begins, moves forward from the Beatitudes and begins to expound on the heart of the law. Now we talked about the Beatitudes being an example to us of the transformation that God wants to do in our lives, uh, you know, beginning with humility all the way through and, and how God wants to transform us and change us. And Jesus steps away from there and uh, he says, look, he says, these people like to try to find loopholes in all of the laws. Anybody know what it means to find a loophole? Religious people are some of the worst people to try to find loopholes, and I forgot to do it again. I forgot to do it the first service and forgot to do it again. I had a picture of a uh, Amish uh, family with a, in their horse and buggy going down the road, and hooked onto the back of the horse and buggy was a brand new bass boat. <laughs> Folks, that's a loophole. That's a loophole. People like to have real stringent and strenuous religious responsibilities and yet find ways that they can manipulate, manipulate their way around it and get out of it. And, and that's, this is where the Jews were at this time. They knew the law, but they also knew how they could get around certain points of it so that they could sin without sinning. You know what I mean? Anybody ever had to deal with some loopholes in your life before? Sinning. Well, I didn't really sin. It was just a white lie. We all know that there are those things in our lives that we try to justify. And what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is, is he gets to the heart of the law and deals with the heart of the law. And he says, look, don't call yourself transformed and think that I'm just good enough by living these ways. Uh, for example, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus gives a clue, the reason for this teaching. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Stop right there for just a second. Jesus basically starts out by saying, the stuff I'm getting ready to tell you, the stuff I'm getting ready to talk to you about, there are going to be the teachers, the Pharisees, the scribes, they're going to come to you and tell you that I'm throwing the law away and that I'm ignoring the law and that I'm getting rid of the law. The scriptures that you've lived by, the scriptures that I was given, that I gave to Moses and the prophets and the different ones that wrote, all of these things, I am not throwing them away. I'm going to fulfill them for you. He already started a foundation, just like us out here in this building. We set a foundation to say this is what we're going to have here. Jesus is telling them, look, this foundation is very clear. I'm not getting rid of it. We must have it. Instead, I'm going to finish the house that it was intended to be built upon it. Amen? That was the intention of Jesus in this situation. He said, I'm not going to abolish it. I'm not going to throw it away. I'm going to fulfill it. And he did say, and I'm not going to tell you to throw away the, the, to any of the writings of it. He says, until everything is accomplished. When was everything accomplished? The accomplishment of the Old Testament, the accomplishment of the law itself was accomplished in the cross in Jesus Christ. And the only thing that was taken away from the law was the ritual sacrifices because it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Amen? As it pertains to everything else, the ritual cleansings and the things that were eating unto salvation, things of that nature, Jesus made everything clean. The only thing that's stricken from the law was that which He fulfilled. Everything else is in place. It's there. And it's good. And He said, and it will be there. And it will not disappear in the smallest letter until heaven and earth disappear. Because we will live 
under the ruling of Jesus Christ Himself in a new earth. Verse 19, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He says to him, he says, look, if you break one of these commandments, you're still held accountable. This is important for us today, amen? If you break the commandments, you're still held accountable before God. I know there's a lot of grace. I understand there's a lot of mercy in Christ and His blood. But there's still an accountability to the truth. You can't throw it out. You cannot toss out the Ten Commandments or the written law. For I tell you, verse 20, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus looks at him and he says, there's a problem here. Your holy leaders that, that, that rule over you, keep you pressed down, and are constantly telling you that you've lost, you failed God, and that you're out of grace with Him, are not in grace themselves. And you cannot live, they will not let you live up to their standard, and their standard is not good enough. Jesus looked at these people and said, I want you to understand the seriousness of your situation. Hypocrisy was not acceptable, it is not acceptable by God, and the teachers of the law had found loopholes, had rationalized away some things, they had worked really hard to try and find ways to sin and still defend themselves according to the law. A person must interpret these commandments literally and must remember that these sins are more than just acting upon them. They begin in our heart, in our nature, in the nature that God is wanting to transform. You can kill somebody without killing somebody. You can destroy somebody without shedding blood. Amen? Let's talk about it. Jesus said this in the next verse, in in verse 21 of chapter 5, You've heard it said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. It's a common law. We know that. It always has been a law. The law of the land understands it. Nature gets it. We don't kill people. It's bad to kill people. Amen? Is anybody confused on that one today? Are we all right? We all know this. Common law. And it's an ancient law. And this law was in place in the very beginning. And even it was even called sin in the beginning before Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it, God says to, to Cain, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. God told Cain that if he would offer the right sacrifice before God, he would be accepted. Here's the situation. Abel did what he was supposed to. He brought a blood sacrifice before the Lord. He did the right requirement of God to be received. Cain did not. Cain did what Cain wanted to do. And Cain wanted to make his own standards. And Cain wanted to have relationship with God, but live it out in his way, not the way God said to do it. And God said, that's not acceptable, Cain. And Cain got mad. Instead of dealing with Cain, Cain got jealous of Abel. And he said, I'm going to kill him in his heart. And God knew what was in his heart. And he said, Abel, I mean Cain, sin is crouched at the door. Sin is very near to you right now. But you can master it. You can master your emotions. You can master your feelings. You can master all of it. But if you choose not to, It desires to control you. It was wrong in the beginning. And we all know that Cain followed through with it. And Cain sinned against God. And he murdered his brother. This law, folks, is not speaking specifically 
of, it is speaking specifically of premeditated murder of another person. It is not contradictory in the fact that, the demand, that it, it demanded the life of certain offenders. The law demanded the lives of certain offenders at that time period. For a person, well, when somebody broke the law and, and, and death was uh, demanded upon them by the scripture, the person that took the rock up to stone the individual was not a murderer. They brought justice. The person holding the rock, I promise you, did not want to throw the rock. It's the last thing they wanted to do, and they did it because they had to. Because justice had to be shown. Justice had to be done. This is not talking about those individuals. For them not to take the life would have been an injustice and disobedient to the law of God. It is not speaking about wartime. It's not talking about those who were called to go out to conquer by God into pagan countries that were threatening Israel or those nations around them and God gave them direction and released them to go and to destroy those nations and secure their peace and safety. It is not talking about a soldier that goes out to fight war. That is not premeditated murder. However, a soldier can murder in war if he's not fighting along the lines which are appropriate for battle. Amen? There, come, there are lines that can be crossed. And there is a price to pay, even in that situation, because we think of David, and remember that David wanted to build the temple before the Lord, but the Lord told him he couldn't, because why? He had shed too much blood. He had been at war too much. But these individuals, even though they were at war, are not condemned. They were not murderers. This is speaking of premeditated. In other words, it is also not speaking of, it's not speaking of somebody that foolishly caused an accident through their carelessness. Taking a life on accident had its, had its charges against people, but they were given in Scripture an opportunity to flee to a city of refuge, to find protection and covering to where the family uh, could not come back and avenge them. There was a punishment. They had to leave their home. They had to go to a separate city because of their carelessness and foolishness, but yet they were not held accountable for premeditated murder in which it demanded death. This law is speaking specifically about a hatred or an anger for someone that overflows in taking their life. Murder. Hatred, according to Jesus, is equal to murder. Let's look at it. Matthew 5, verse 22. He says all these things that the, the, the leaders had said, but he says, but I tell you. They have said this, this has always been taught to you, and the law about murder is good, but I tell you, the writer of the law, the one that teaches with authority, the one that established the law and the rule, I've come to shed light on the truth. I am telling you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. He shows us in this passage as we dissect it that just to avoid the killing of another person does not make us innocent. Amen? Well, I didn't shed their blood. I didn't hold a gun to their head. I didn't do it. I'm innocent. And what Jesus is saying here, He says... Three different levels of this. And level number one is angry with a brother. And other versions make it clearer by saying without cause. If you are angry with your brother without cause, you'll be subject to judgment. 
This is not speaking about a brother such as a sibling. It's not speaking about just because it's, you're limited to a church uh, relationship with a brother and sister in Christ. This is more in a universal sense, just like it was with the neighbor, as they spoke about a neighbor with the uh, Good Samaritan on the road, the individual that had been beat up, and the Good Samaritan stopped to help. He was his neighbor. They didn't live next to each other. But this reference of a loving relationship and care for another person, now Jesus says, your brother in a universal sense, which means any living human being, any body, anybody from the prostitute to the drunk on the street, to the pastor, to the board members, to teachers, to church attenders, to somebody at the ballpark, to some, I think we get the idea. Anybody. Anybody you're driving next to on the road, Lord Jesus, forgive me right now. I repent of my sin. <laughs> Anybody. And if we are angry without cause, we sin and are subject to judgment. What is the subject of judgment that we are, uh, that we are uh, having to deal with? Have you ever dealt with somebody that's constantly angry without cause? I used to have to work with a guy that I had to watch him when he walked in the door so I knew what his facial expression was before I spoke to him in the morning. He would come in the shop and I would look to him and I would say hello and call him by name and kind of look at him. You didn't dare make a joke until you figured out what was going on in his head because he's going to go off and throw things and throw a fit and red-faced. And it was a little bit scary. When you're dealing with somebody that's angry without cause, constantly angry, what do you invite upon yourself? If we are this way, if we behave this way, there's two different judgments we receive. We receive the judgment or condemnation of man. For the measure we give to others, it will be measured unto us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Amen? If I show anger and hatred and frustration constantly to people, what can I expect in return from people? Frustration, anger, and hatred. Constant. And all that's going to do is feed into your frustration, anger, and hatred. And the more angry you become, the more angry everybody else becomes with you until suddenly... I'm just mad all the time. It's going to bring condemnation of other people. You don't want people to hate you. Stop hating other people. Amen? The judgment of God. It also brings the judgment of God on us. We already know, according to Jeremiah 17, that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. That only God can search and examine our hearts and motives. The Sanhedrin and our courts do not hold people accountable for being angry without cause. You can be angry. You can rip your shirt off and flex in the mirror. When I was little, I used to turn into the Incredible Hulk. I would try. I would try really hard. I hated my sisters at times. They would bug me, especially Laura and Paula would just drive me crazy. And, and, and so I would be on the bottom of the pile and I would start going, rah, rah, and they're like, oh no, he's turning into the Hulk. And I would jump up and flex, rah. <laughs> this is not in my notes. <laughs> but I did. Do you remember me doing that, Paula? Do you remember me doing that? It was, it was scary, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really scary. They were four and six years older than me, everybody, just so you know. You don't get thrown in jail or, or lawsuits against you for just being angry. Amen? Nobody comes after you for just... It's not against the law to be an angry person. And the only way we can deal with a man 
as if his anger is seen externally in some way. And Ephesians 4.26 tells us not to sin in our anger. We sin in our anger when our anger is unjustifiable, when it is without cause. There is such a thing as righteous indignation or anger. We, we saw Jesus exercise it in the temple. It was controlled. And He would go in and He turned over the tables. And He, by His righteous indignation, told them the truth. And it was a day they didn't forget. There's a time and a place for the right kind of anger. The world's not going to hold us accountable for an internal anger. However, God sees our hearts. And it is God that judges us. And it's God that's going to discern our motives and our actions. Even if you never say a word. Even if you never do anything. If you, if you are embittered and angry and hatred towards somebody else, you will stand before God and think that you've hidden it from everybody. You can put a smile on your face. But God is going to say, what about this? Jesus said, you may not have to shed an ounce of blood, but my Father knows what your heart is. Raka. Or any other term of reproach means we will be held accountable to the laws of man. Anybody that says rocket to his brother is accountable to the Sanhedrin. Listen, we may have freedom of speech here in America, but that doesn't mean we can say whatever the puke we want to say anytime we want to say it. Amen? Amen. Doesn't mean you can just run anybody down anytime you want to run them down or talk about them in any other way. In this case, the anger now has begun to overflow out of the mouth into a curse towards another person. This is a slippery slope we're on. It begins in the heart where God sees it and now it's external and we begin to curse other people because of our anger. This word, raka, you know what it means? It means empty-headed. Right now, everybody says, just, just have the altar call right now. <laughs> you ever called anybody stupid before or idiot? I have. I tease my, my family. I tease April and Alyssa both. If we do something, I say, well, you big, dumb, stupid idiot. <laughs> just as a joke, we tease and laugh. Ha, ha, ha. You know, and I say it about myself, too. But... Listen, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is when you intentionally go out and try to destroy somebody else. You call them empty-headed. You call them foolish. That actually is another term in the Jewish sense that it refers to being spat upon. It's, this is the same as an insult to destroy someone's character, to hurt them, to harm them, to move from having anger in your heart to now, I want to destroy this person's life. I said this before. You can, you can destroy somebody without shedding blood. You can. Boys, boys don't destroy each other without shedding blood. They take a swing. That's just how boys are. Girls, I learned this from my sisters and as a youth pastor with many teenage girls. Girls are, are, are purposeful in hurting each other without letting it be seen. <laughs> Love you ladies, but sometimes I've seen it. I've seen some ugly stuff. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I had, had a young lady that was a part of the popular crowd at school of these girls, and she did something. She dated a guy that they didn't like, maybe did a thing or two that they didn't care for. They totally alienated this young lady, absolutely singled her out, and intimidated everybody in that school and told every other girl, if you talk to her, you're going to deal with us. This girl walked the halls of that school by herself, the walking dead, for over a month. Alone, fearful, concerned, afraid. Listen, you can destroy somebody with this. 
and with a hatred that overflows out of the mouth. This young lady, though, it didn't destroy her. She came to church. She got saved. <laughs> Who won? My point is this, folks, is that you, you can't just say whatever you want to say about people. Do you know there are laws in our country that we can get in trouble for defamation of character? You can get in trouble for slandering people. You can get in trouble for this. Now, I know that's hard to believe. I know we think we're in a free country, a free society. We can say anything we want to do and do anything we want to do. And you can't. And what Jesus is saying is, is there's a level here where your hatred can move into a point to where now, now you're causing issues. And not only issues, but legal issues. And it's all overflowing from the heart issue that began with. Just because the law doesn't write out every possible thing that could be said as a cuss word or a curse, it does not mean that we can try and, and destroy people in our anger. This is where blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, comes in. Amen? This is what must happen where Christ and His transformed nature must shine through in our life. And if you say to them, according to Jesus, you fool, you are in the danger of the fire of hell. For calling somebody a fool? For calling somebody foolish? I am in danger of the fire of hell, Pastor Bob? Well, I'm in deep trouble. Because I've called people foolish before. But this actual word, what it means, instead of just calling somebody a fool, it actually means you are godless. You are a godless fool. There is no hope for you. There is nothing that you're going to be able to do about this. There's not anything that can be done about it. You're a godless fool. Hopeless. What this is saying is Jesus is saying now you've progressed from beyond having somebody that has this in your heart to somebody now that has something coming out of your mouth about it and now you have condemned them. You have made yourself God and told them to go to hell. There's no hope for you. There is no saving of you. There is nothing that you can do. This is saying, I am imparting the judgment of God upon you and I would enjoy knowing that you are godless for all eternity. That's a pretty hard statement, isn't it? Anybody ever told you to go to hell before? Have you ever told somebody else that? Listen, folks, the reason those kinds of statements come out of people's mouths is because there's a problem in their heart of hatred. And what Jesus is pointing out to us and all of us here today is, is that the problem is not just what comes out of your mouth. It's not just whether or not you shed blood. You are equal to murder because the root of it is, is your anger and your hatred. And it has to be dealt with. <laughs> isn't, isn't the Sermon on the Mount awesome? I think it's awesome. It's just great. All Jesus is showing us here is the seriousness of it. And, and you experience right now the exact same thing that Paul experienced, Romans chapter 7, verses 9 through, through 11. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. What Paul's saying is I didn't know what sin was until I read it and saw what it was. And wow, I realized I'm a sinful person. This is what Jesus is getting these people to see is, is the loopholes are gone. There's a heart issue with you, but I've come to fix it. I've come to bring grace. I've come to bring mercy. I've come to be the sacrifice. I've come to fulfill the law so that you can overcome. Amen? So that's what he's clarifying for us. Folks, today, if you've got ha hatred or anger and bitterness in your heart, man, pull that thing out and get rid of it. 
Because it will grow into other things. It will cause and wreak havoc upon your life. Thankfully, we have the opportunity to be forgiven, to overcome. As a child of God, you say, how do we protect and guard against anger and hatred? Well, read on in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus gives us a couple clues this morning. Two more and then we'll, we'll close. But Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, because of all these things, because of the heart condition, because of the, the, the seriousness of murder is more than just drawing blood or shedding blood. It's because it's you. Your issue, your heart issue is what's causing you to have no mercy and nothing but anger and hatred toward another person. Because of all of this, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. The sin of anger and hatred can and will hinder our prayers and have a negative effect, a negative effect on our relationship with Christ. It will. There is no question. I'm going to hit some of these real quick. Uh, just if you're taking notes, you can write the verses down quickly, follow along on the screen, whatever. But if, if we harbor unforgiveness, we will hinder our prayers. It's connected with hatred and anger. We don't forgive people that we hate. Amen? We don't forgive people that we're bitter to because the bitterness feels really good. And if we can judge them, then I feel better about myself. But Matthew 6.15, Jesus says, But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. If you're not willing to forgive others, Father God's not going to hear your prayer. It's going to hinder your prayer and your walk with Christ if you do not have forgiveness for them. Ver, uh, number two, if we refuse to deal with family issues, we can hinder our prayers. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And other places in Malachi where the, the, the priests, the people that were upset and they said, why is it that God is upset with us? God says, I'm tired of hearing your prayers and your constant crying on the altars. He said, you've forsaken the wife of your youth. They had dishonored. They had been harsh. Listen, folks, this thing about personal uh, relationships and accountability is so important. If we refuse to deal with these family issues, uh, it, it's going to hinder our prayers. If we refuse to deal with idols in our lives, Ezekiel 14, 3, 7, and 8 says, Son of man, these, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? When in Israel, in any Israelite or any alien living in, the Israel, uh, living in Israel separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet to inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. I will set my face against the man and make him an example and a byword. I will cut him off from my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So if we have idols in our lives, God is not anxious about showing us mercy and grace with our idolatry. What he's going to say is, is I'll, make a, I'll make an example of you. Don't come to me with prayers if you're not going to deal with your idolatry. Lacking compassion for those in need. Proverbs 21.13 says, If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Lastly, any form of willful disobedience will hinder our prayers. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey commands, His commands and do what pleases Him. We have these concerns uh, because the reality of it is, is all these things are connected to anger and hatred. We may become angry with God and hating God because of these situations. We look at Him and say, I don't want to obey God. Look what He did to me. I don't want to have compassion for them. They deserve what they got. 
I, 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 I have idols. Why does it matter if I worship God? Why does He try to take everything from my life? So anger and hatred will cause us to continue. We may have issues within our families and we don't want to deal with it and that's going to hinder our prayers. We have unforgiveness because we're bitter with people. Folks, if you're dealing with anger and hatred and bitterness, it's going to hinder what it is that God's trying to do. Don't do that to yourself, child of God. Amen? If you want to serve Him, you want to live for Him, do that. So what does this obedience look like? What is an offering that pleases God? If we're supposed to leave our gift on the, offer, uh, on the altar and go deal with reconciliation first, what, what does this look like? Well, in Ephesians 4, we have a picture of it. And look at all these things, how they're connected to our anger and to our hatred. Ephesians 4.29. Excuse me. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Amen. Do we do that when we're hating people and angry? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We already know that if we're not reconciled to our brother, it brings a grieving upon God. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, because all these things are connected to our anger and hatred. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, Christ, as in Christ God forgave you. In other words, people are deserving of forgiveness just like you are deserving of forgiveness from God. So we have to exercise that towards others. Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2. We defend ourselves in this by being imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Basically what this is saying is that if we're at church and we want to do our ritual, we want to come in, we want to worship God, we want to listen to preaching and teaching and, 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 and hold all this anger and bitterness in our hearts, what God's saying is, is the greater thing for you do, to do is not to stand there and sing the song or to come weep at the altar. The greater thing for you to do is immediately go right to the person where you have an offense with and fix it. Number one thing. He said, that is greater to me. That is a, a, a sacrifice, an aroma that's pleasing to me. More than your false worship, more than your prayers, more than your raising the hands, more than singing along with what's on the screen. The greater thing is that you would go to the person and be reconciled to them. Rip out of your life this root of bitterness, anger, and hatred. Because it will lead you to murder. Either murdering, murdering them physically or trying to murder them socially or whatever. And either way, it's sin. If we are aware of any of these things in our lives, we must deal with them or they will come back and destroy us. They cannot be ignored. They cannot be buried. They cannot be turned away from. I, again, as a youth pastor, I dealt with a lot of teenagers that would come in and say, Pastor, I've just destroyed my life. I've ruined my life. No, you haven't. You have not destroyed your life. You've made a mistake. It may be a big one, maybe a little one, but you've not destroyed your life. And this was, the, this was what I always encouraged them with. I said, look, whether it was an alcohol incident or a drug incident or a sexual immorality incident, a pornography incident, you name it, that we sit down and talk, say, okay, you're a teenager. You don't have a whole lot of responsibilities in your life right now. You have an opportunity to repent and to deal with this now. Deal with the lying now. Deal with the stealing now. Because if you become an adult and you have never dealt with this, you've only buried it, hid it, and, and carried it with you into adulthood, and you get married, and you have kids, and you have a job, and you have all these other responsibilities, then you're going to destroy your life. For example, if a kid gets caught with alcohol as a 15-year-old, as a 16-year-old, and, and mom and dad pull the keys from him, say you're grounded from now until eternity. 
Don't act like you've never said it before in your life. They take the alcohol away, and the kid says, I've just destroyed my life. No, you haven't. But if you continue to drink alcohol, and you continue to, in your alcoholism until you're going to bars, and then at the time you, get, you find you a wife there, or a husband or whatever, and you get married, and you have some kids, and all along through your life you've buried your alcoholism, and it continues to grow, and it continues to get worse, until finally one day you're driving home, and you lose your job because you showed up at work drunk again, and then you're, you don't have a job and then you're, you, you go to the bar to, to drown your sorrows and more alcohol and you get in the car to drive home and you not only destroy your family's life by getting in a car accident and having to go to jail, you destroy another's family life because you destroy them who are innocently driving down the road. Listen to me. Do not bury the issues. Deal with them. The Word of God that came to us at Prayer Summit this last week, Pastor Troy Trout, who used to be a missionary to Guinea-Bissau in Africa, said that the, the message that he had received was is that there was a truck that was taking a coffin out to be buried, a family taking their family member out in the back of a truck, all riding together with the casket, going to bury them. And when they were driving out, they hit a landmine. And it destroyed the truck and killed 24 people. And he said, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Do not bury the issues. Deal with them now. He said that mine had been buried for 40 years from their revolution. And somebody did not go back and dig them all up and find the ones that needed to be found. And this family was destroyed because of it. Child of God, deal with your issues. Do not let it blow up 40 years later. If you're dealing with anger, hatred, and frustration in your life, moms and dads, you will instill that into your children. You will. Deal with it. Don't let it destroy your family. Teenagers, if you're dealing with frustration, anger, and hatred, deal with it because you will carry it into your family and you will destroy your home. 100%. Guaranteed. It's really quiet now, isn't it? Somebody hates me, I'm sure. God made Cain aware of his heart issue and told him to master it. He should have left his gift and did what was right. He should have left the gift before God, reconciled himself over his jealousy with his brother, and come back and offered the correct sacrifice to God. But instead, he pursued his jealousy over his brother and pursued and killed him. It will affect your relationship with God. Secondly, and lastly, Jesus goes on to say that if what has happened uh, is something that is prosecutable by law, it must be dealt with quickly. Matthew 5, verses 25-26. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the, pa- the last penny. We have a tendency to become either prideful or fearful to either defend ourselves or to hide when we've done something wrong. Our tendency is to cover, hide, protect, defend, 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 defend. Listen, we keep from remaining in sin by repenting, by not making excuses and taking ownership of our actions. The only reason someone is taking you to court is to get you to make right what you have wronged. Don't make a civil authority force you to do the right thing. You are a child of God, full of the Holy Spirit. The right thing should be an early option for us. Repentance, 
Apology, forgiveness should be early. If we let our pride settle in, we have the potential to do more harm to ourselves than good. Even when we have sinned, we have an opportunity to make things right by humility. However, if we don't, if we defend, if we hide, we can make it worse. And the scripture says, Jesus says, if, if you end up in jail because of this, you're going to stay and serve the full sentence. Don't be stupid and break the law and beg me to come get you out of jail. <laughs> you're going to be prosecuted to the fullest extent. That's just the way it is. So this morning, as I have Devin or somebody come, we're going to close up this morning. But I would say the message is really clear. As I said, we're just going to keep working through the Sermon on the Mount. There's going to be some heavy stuff like this. You'll get a break next week with Jason Harshbarger here. And the following week, we'll move on. But like everything's in our, everything in our lives, there's hope. And there's hope when we bring our, the author, ourselves under the authority of Jesus and obey Him in all things. The purpose of this message is not to condemn, but to bring hope in Christ. That's it. If you, my friend, are dealing with anger and hatred or unforgiveness in a situation or jealousy that's driving you to dislike people because you're jealous of them, I want to challenge you, if, you're being, if you call yourself a Christian and being transformed by God, the only way you can get to a place of hatred is to leave behind your humility. If you're going to trade in humility for pride, if you're going to trade in your mourning over your own sin for mourning over what everybody said about you or done to you, if you mourn over your hurt feelings, it's going to lead you to hatred. If you have left behind meekness for aggressive behavior toward another person, you've traded meekness in. And your pursuit for righteousness is going to stall because God's not going to hear your prayers because you have unforgiveness, hatred, and anger towards somebody. And you can't show mercy and receive mercy because mercy is not in your heart. You've traded mercy in for anger and hatred and unforgiveness. And if all these things are in your heart, then your heart's not pure. And if you don't have a pure heart and you don't have all these other things, how in the world are you going to be a peacemaker? Because you've traded in the ability to be a peacemaker for becoming the one who stops the peace because you're so angry with people. And lastly, how can you be persecuted for righteousness sake when you have become the persecutor do you see how opposite all this is from the transformation that Christ has called us to child of God I'm here because I love you and I'm your pastor because I love you and I want to warn you if there's bitterness in your life rip that sucker out if there's a root of bitterness if you've given the devil a foothold in your life because you've become angry Leave whatever gift it is on the altar and go first and be reconciled to your brother or your sister or whoever it is. That is the number one thing. If you truly want to follow and serve God and live for God all the days of your life, that is what has to happen. It has to. Because it's opposite of everything else that we've talked about in this transformation process. Now, I will tell you and I will warn you, that is a painful uprooting. It's extremely painful uprooting. It's like pulling dandelions. Anybody ever tried to pull a dandelion before? A little flower this big has got a root this long on it. Looks like a carrot underground. <laughs> Look at it, you can't pull me out. It keeps breaking. You've got to dig the whole thing out. And you're digging. It's like, how deep is it? And I promise you, when you get to the bottom, there's a little Chinese guy that goes, oh, hi, how are you? It went clear through the earth. But anyway. 
You gotta be careful, man, because hatred and anger goes deep into our lives. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus Christ has so graciously given to us, He will empower you and enable you to have a pure heart again. If you just humble yourself, if you mourn over the sin that you have, if you simply turn your a gentle spirit, a gentle word toward those who have wrath toward you, it'll quiet them. And you can begin to pursue righteousness again. You can have more mercy to show toward people. You can, have, you can work all the way through those beatitudes again, having your heart purified and, uh, and renew a right spirit in me and, 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 and work down to being a peacemaker again and, and work back to saying, you know what, even if they hate me for doing the right thing, they're just going to have to hate me because God, I want to honor you with it. It's a total flip-flop transformation and that only happens by the Spirit of God. So how do we quicken the Spirit to do that work in us? We repent and we say, God, will you forgive me for this root of bitterness that I have? And He's going to say, yes, go make it right. And you go make it right. And you come back to Him and worship and prayer and honor and praise. And He is going to pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing because His child just obeyed Him. Amen? Amen. I'm not going to ask you to reveal your baggage this morning. I'm going to open our altars up for people to seek God. And you don't even have to come for just anger, hatred, or anger. I, I realize in the circumstances of everything that our church has gone through in the last week and a half that, that some people may just want to cry out to God, and that's okay. That's okay. But if there is an issue, deal with it. Amen? I'm not the issue police. I can't follow you around make sure you do it, but the Holy Spirit can. And I'm going to pray that he does. Stand with me this morning.